0: Well, good morning. For those of you who are visiting, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. I see a lot of new faces. I uh, love to get around to see you after the service. If I don't get around to you, why don't you get around to me and uh, fill out that little information card, place it in the offering, and uh, we would uh, love to get to know you just a little bit better. Take a coffee mug on the way out, it says Xenia Naz, because coffee tastes better in a Xenia Naz mug, Okay. And there's a, little, there's a little booklet out there I'd love for you to take. It says, White Church. And uh, just as our uh, thanks for being here uh, today. Um, my boss is here today. Bob Mahaffey is our district superintendent. You all say amen a lot today, okay? So he'll think I'm preaching a really good sermon today. And I appreciate him and what he does for the Church of Nazarene locally and uh, globally. Can I tell you real quick before we get into this thing? Uh, that I have one spot left for Puerto Rico. Um, They've told us 20 is the max that we can take, and I know at the end of this sermon on the final amen, you're going to be running up to me to get that last spot. What I'm going to try to do is beg them into letting us bring five more people. And uh, so if you uh, would like in on that, I've already got a waiting list of people outside of this church that want to go but if um, if you would like to go uh, I still want to hear from you I'll try to increase the number of spots that they will take thank you for letting us go to Miami this week uh, Jeff and Brian and I were able to go down and help some load some stuff on some airplanes and bring and and taking some supplies that were dropped off at this one church and put them on a pallet and shrink wrapping them and organizing them and getting them off to this uh private hangar that's going straight down to Puerto Rico, but we get to put boots on the ground in Puerto Rico as part of our continuing disaster relief team here at Xenia, and uh, love for some of you to go with us, and um, even if I'm already at my limit, I'd love to put you on the waiting list and see if I can push them out of their comfort zone so we can take uh, more people, okay? So talk to me after the service. We're in a series of sermons called uh, The Tender Commandments. The Ten Commandments are not a ball and chain. They're not a fence that's there to squelch all your fun. They're from the heart of a loving father and to his children. And just like any father that loves their child says, do this and don't do that, the heavenly father does the same thing as he's trying to make a people out of a bunch of slaves that were in Egyptian captivity for over 400 years. And so this loving Heavenly Father says, go here, don't go here, do this, don't do that. The same exact way that loving earthly fathers say this, that to their sons and daughters. So if you hear the Ten Commandments any other way, if you hear like God's getting ready to knock you out of heaven, if you, if you disobey this, you're missing God's heart in all of this because it's the heart of the Father that gives tender commandments. and says, I know what's best for you. Go here, child and don't go here. And we're at the sixth commandment today. Last week, a Sunday school teacher was talking about with her kids, with the the fifth commandment where we were in last week, honor your father and mother. And uh, she's saying, you know, she was talking through that. She says, now, are there any other commandments that have anything to do with the family? And uh, one little boy raised his hand and said, yeah, the next one, thou shalt not kill. And I don't know about you, but I've wanted to kill my brother. Don't look at me like that. You have two. <laughs> and I don't know if you're like our boys, but they love one another one minute and they kind of don't the next minute. But um, actually, it's not thou shalt not kill. That's a poor translation from the, new, from the King James Version. Um, it should be murder. If you have thou shalt not kill, we've got a lot of biblical trouble because there's killing all the way throughout God's word, Old Testament and New we got a lot of things we cannot defend if it's thou shalt not kill. Um, God kills some kind of animal and puts it on Adam and Eve after they sin. I mean, that's just one of the first examples of that. It's thou shalt not take innocent life. And that can be proved if I, if you wanted, if I wanted to take the time to take 15 minutes to walk you through the meaning of that Hebrew word to prove that. But suffice it to say, if it's thou shalt not kill we got lots of problems biblically. Lots of problems. The Bible does not make sense at all. It's thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not take innocent life. That's found in Exodus chapter 20 verse 13, but it's first found all the way back in Genesis chapter 9, right after the flood. Okay, I was down in Miami this week and getting on the people mover to take me to the terminal, and I saw the biggest rainbow that I've ever seen in my life. And after the flood, Noah, as part of his promise with God, or God's promise with him, says, I'm going to put this rainbow in the sky to prove to you that I will never, ever do this again in the way that I've done it this time. And I saw that down in Miami, just like I've seen it in Xenia as well, reminding me in a town I've never been before of God's promise. And, but in Genesis chapter nine, he comes to Noah after the flood and says this, then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful, increase in number and fill up the earth. Okay. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Now that, that, that's a real problem if it's thou shalt not kill. Okay. We have real problems. Okay. Now, you, you can see a PETA demonstration, and they'll have a billboard that says, Thou shalt not kill. They're, they're interpreting the Bible that way, that, that way they want to interpret it to fit their agenda. Okay? God says, before and after this commandment, He says, everything that lives and moves, help yourself. Just as I gave you the green plants back in the garden, I now give you everything. Okay? But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. For your lifeblood, for my lifeblood, I will surely, God says, demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. What? How does that work out? He's going to demand an accounting from every animal that kills a human being? I, I have no clue how that works out. But it ought to tell you a little bit about the preciousness of life. That even an animal doing something instinctively, some way, in a way I can't teach to you, and I don't know any teacher can teach to you, I don't care how many letters they have behind their name, what that means right there and how that works out. And not only demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I would demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Now this is way before... We had a Ten Commandment. Okay? All right. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. Before there was a thou shalt not murder. Okay? And why is God this way? This, this, this kind of sounds kind of rough, doesn't it? Well, why? For, or that could be because, in the image of God, has God made mankind? In the image of God, God has made mankind. Can I tell you this morning that God says here and about other places that life is precious, even even sacred. Life is precious, even sacred. And I don't know what it means. And how sacred must it be if somehow God's going to demand him accounting for an animal, for that bear that kills a hunter out in the woods? Now, don't ask me to explain that. Don't take that to Facebook. That's what Pastor Mark said. They'll think I'm a loony, man, okay? But that's what it says. That's what it said. How precious and how sacred must must life be? I think this is fascinating that God comes to Noah here right after a huge disaster. Okay, a flood like there has never, ever been a flood before, and all of humanity was killed off for 40 days and 40 nights it rained. I don't know how many here were in Xenia back in 74 when the tornado came and wiped out a third of our city. I don't know how many have ever been involved in a disaster, and I'm talking about the awesomeness of nature doing what nature has the capability of doing, whether that be through a tornado or that be through a flood or that be through a hurricane or whatever it may be. But isn't it fascinating that God comes, listen, here's how tender God is, that God God comes pastorally, to these people who have just been through the biggest disaster this world will ever, ever see. And God comes pastorally to these people who were totally aware of their own finiteness, aware of how small they were, aware of how huge nature and God must be because of the flood, and he comes to them and tells them how precious they are. Isn't that fascinating? God comes pastorally, reassuring a very, very sensitive way God comes. You know how, you know how precious you are? There, there is nothing in the world as precious as you. In fact, you're priceless. Because there's nothing. There's nothing that can account or pay back for your death. If, if that had been the case here, it would have said, for a human life, uh, you got to pay 10,000 talents. I mean, they could have said something like that. If somebody kills somebody else, you got to pay up, you got to pay that family $25,000. I mean, that could have been some kind of a law. But there's no money on a human head. You can't put a price on a human head. And the only thing, and God says in Genesis chapter 9, that can pay for a human life is another priceless thing, another human life. God is is screaming at us here that you are so important. You are priceless. You look at the person next to you, and they're the most priceless thing on the face of the earth. we just saying, one day the sun will forbear to shine. You know what? There'll be human beings that'll be alive someplace, either in heaven or in hell. That's how important, and that's how valuable they are. They're priceless. Priceless. Part of maybe, maybe, I've always struggled with what it means to be made in the image of God and how to teach that, but maybe that's a little bit of what it means to be made in the image of God. You can't put a price on their head. You can't say, okay, if if somebody kills somebody, then you've got to work for this person for seven years. There's only one thing that can pay for a human life, and that's another human life. This, this scripture also teaches us a little bit about the sacredness and the preciousness of life by saying that your life is not your own, okay? It talks about being accountable right there. Um, I will demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting even from the animals and from, each, from human beings too. I will demand an accounting, okay? Listen, things that you are accountable for are not your own. Now listen to this. I had an Old Testament professor took about three class periods to try to make me understand this, and it took all three of them. The things that you are accountable for are not your own. Okay, now think, think with me. Put your, put, your, put your thinking cap on and think with me on this, okay? Now, things that you own that are yours, you're, 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 you're not accountable for those. Let's say I give my boys an allowance. I'm too cheap to do that. I don't give them an allowance, but let's say I did give them an allowance, okay? And let's say I give them five bucks a week. Let's say I give them five bucks a week, And I give each of them five bucks a week, and they can do with that whatever they want. If they want to buy $5 worth of bubble gum, they can do that. Now, I may choose to reduce that or eliminate that if I want to, but if I give them a $5 bill, this is your allowance, you're not accountable to me. It's yours. But if I give them $50 for them to go buy a birthday present for Sue, and they go buy $50 worth of bubble gum, we got problems. (laughs) We got problems. Because they're accountable for that money. Okay, the $5 for allowance, this is theirs. They can do what they want to with it. But if they take my money that's on loan to them and it says, I want you to do this with my money, then, 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 and they go out and blow it, then there's accountability for that. There, we have issues. There's accountability for that. Some of you that work for a business, you go on a business trip, and, and they give you $500 to spend for meals and, and taxi cabs and everything when you're on a business trip. And you come back and they say, well, was $500 enough? Yeah, it was okay. It was enough. Thanks a lot. No, 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 no. Let me see where you spent that $500. It's not your money. It's theirs. And thus, you must be accountable for that. Now, when that, when that uh, business that you work with pays you $1,000 a week or whatever they pay you, you're not accountable for that. You can buy $1,000 worth of bubble gum if you want to. They don't care what you do with that. That's your money. God says you're accountable. And if we're accountable, we're not our own. And I, I have no control over you, and you have no control over me. I can't tell you you have to do this. You can't tell me I have to do this. We're accountable to the one who made us. We're, we're, we're creatures who are accountable to a creator. All through the Bible, Old Testament and New, teaches us to, that we will be held accountable for the way we treat people. Why? Because they're precious. Because they're sacred. All three, Old Testament and New, you just can't treat people any way you want to. No, you're accountable. You're accountable for every single person that comes your way. And in and, and, and some way, you just can't, you can't stack them up and put them over here and put them over there. No, you're accountable for them in some way. You can't deal with them just as you wish according to God's Word. Why is life precious? Why is life sacred? Yeah, we're created in His image, whatever that means. But also the text says that that we're not our own. We're accountable. Can I tell you something that pushes some of you out of your comfort zone? You don't own your kids. Your kids are on loan. You are to be a steward It's the most marvelous gift that God has ever given you. And he's given them to you for a period of time that you would raise them up in the love and admonition of the Lord. You're accountable for that. If they were yours, you wouldn't be accountable for them. But I think every single person in here that has any fear of God knows there's going to be a day that I'm going to stand before God and one of the things he's going to ask me is what I did with Christopher and Levi. God is screaming at us. Life is precious. Life is sacred. And why? Because you're created in my image, God says. Some of y'all don't remember this. Back 20, 20, 25 years ago, on Saturday Night Live, uh, who, is, who is the, uh, I think she still sings, is it Sinead O'Connor? Am I pronouncing that wrong? Yeah, laugh at me, okay, I'm an old guy, laugh at me, that's okay. Well, she's ball headed and she's a rebel, and, and so back in the 90s, sometimes she got on Saturday Night Live, and without the, the producers of Saturday Night Live knowing this, she sings this song, and at the end of the song, she takes a picture of the then Pope. And holds it up to the camera and rips it. Tears it. You can go YouTube it. You can find it. And tears it. And because she says, this is the problem in the world because of religion, is what she was saying. This is the problem. And she tears this picture of the Pope. And people went nuts. People went nuts. And, and, and this is how far the world's coming in 20 years. The next Saturday, Saturday Night Live, issued an apology. You can see that on YouTube, too. The next host of Saturday Night Live came out and issued an apology and said she was being childlike in doing that. Just laid her out. And and actually had that, that what she tore up, actually had it put back together and held it up right here. Being created in the image of God means somehow when you harm another person, you're tearing up God's picture because his stamp is on you. And a little bit of divine glory is on each and every one of us. Psalm chapter 8 is an amazing passage. Psalm 8 verse 5 is just flat out amazing. And it, you, you, if, if you even can grasp the enormity of this, you're better than I. Because Psalm 8 5 says, You have made them, speaking of me and you, You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. Now, if you have a new American standard version, That is the most literal translation of all the translation. The most literal word-for-word translation. It doesn't say angels. Google it, right? Somebody get on BibleGateway.com and and you'll find it. On NewAmericanStandard.com, it'll say um, it. BibleGateway.com, New American Standard Version. It'll say, you have made them a little lower than God. Because the word there is Elohim. And, And we're just too... We're just too, we don't know what to do with that word, and we don't want to say God, but literally, it's Elohim. Now, Elohim doesn't mean anything to most of you, but you know the first place you find the word Elohim in the Bible? In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. You have God's divine stamp on you in a way that I can never explain or teach to you. You have unbelievable potential in you because of the image of God in you. If you have a cat, raise your hand. You own a cat? Go ahead, raise your hand. I hate cats, but go ahead and raise them anyway. I hate them. I just despise them. I, one scratched me when I was five years old, and I would just rather almost throw him in a pond other than look at him. I t- oh, I know, I'm a horrible, I'm horrible. I know that. Amen. Somebody say, "All right, stay with me, there, brother." All right. Cat just takes from you. Dog wants to go. What can, what can I do, please? What, no, cat just wants to take from. You. Now, a cat. A cat wants two things in life. A cat wants two things in life. He wants you to feed it, and he wants to find a cozy place to curl up. That's all he wants. It's an eternal quest for coziness for a cat, right? It's an eternal quest for food and coziness. So your your cat is a whole lot happier than you are because its desires are so simple. But you see, you are created in the image of God, and your desires are complex. You want so much more than food and cozy places. So, God doesn't say, You cat, you are created in the image of God. He says, Me and you, we're created in the image of God. And one of the ways that plays out is that our desires are so, so complex. And it's a whole lot harder to keep us happy. But that's part of the greatness that's in us because we're complex creatures, just like God is. Your cat's not a rational being. Your cat doesn't have a desire to know except to know where that next cozy place is and that next meal is. But we have a desire to know and know more. That's in us. That's a a divine stamp of the image of God. That's in us. That rationality to know more. There's a a personality with us that, that wants to love and be loved. And your cat, I know you're going to get mad at him. Don't throw stuff at me here. Your cat doesn't care about being loved and be You think he does. When he curls up next to you, he's just trying to find a cozy place. He don't love you. He does know he's going to, you feed him, so he's going to act nice to you because he's not totally stupid. Okay? But its we have a desire to love and be loved. That's part of being stamped in the image of God. We, we, we have a creativity about us. You know, why is it we all want to do things better? Why is it that I want to preach next week better than I want to preach this week? You could say, well, I thought this week's pretty good, Mark. Or, but I know, I know I want to do it better next week. Why is it when you make something and you, you, you're a woodworker and, and you make a table and the next table you make, you want to make it better than that? You're not satisfied. Your desires are insatiable. Your desires are insatiable. You're an eternal being. You're an eternal being. I hate to blow your... I guess I don't know this, so I don't, I don't know if your cat's going to be in heaven or not, to be quite honest with you, okay? I don't know, that. I don't know anything about that. But I know you're an eternal being, and you're going to spend eternity somewhere. And because we're eternal, we want to last. Don't we? We want to last. We'll go through great, great measures to keep ourselves alive, even though we sing... When we all get to heaven. I've never understood that about Christians. We sing, what a day of rejoicing that will be, but we'll do anything to stay here. I never figured that out. We'll do anything to stay here. And that's because we're eternal beings and we want to last I don't know what all that image of God stuff means, but it has something to do with our eternality, something to do with with our rationality, that cats are not rational beings. Cats are not personal beings. Let me tell you, what God is saying to us in the sixth commandment is that you are precious. I have made you a little lower than, dare I say it, Elohim. I've made you a little lower than God. You you are priceless. You're precious. You are not your own. And because of that, what God is trying to say to us in the sixth commandment is, is, uh, Mark, do you treat people like I see them? Oh, that just cuts me right to the heart because I don't. Right? You talk to any pastor, let's just be honest, we get a little tired of people sometimes. Can I be that honest? Don't look at me that way now. I, do I treat every person that comes across my path as a precious, sacred a little lower than Elohim? Or do I see how this person can help me? Or just how quick I can get this person out of my office? Well, what about capital punishment? What about abortion? What about euthanasia? What about just war theory? Well, there's an argument in all of those. Each of those is a sermon in and of itself. But I'm telling you, the overarching principle here that all of those things flow out of is that life is precious. And we are accountable for the people that come in our lives. And do I look at people and treat people the way God looks at them and thinks about them? And the answer to that, for me, is no. No. And that's why this is the most convicting of all the commandments for me. I have never killed, I never murdered anybody. I I never have. Stepped on an ant one day, but I have never murdered anybody. But you see, Jesus does something totally different with this commandment. Does Jesus ever make you mad? He he makes me mad sometimes because the Old Testament is easy. It's just don't do this and do that. I can just grip my teeth and do that. But Jesus elevates things from the Old Testament to the New Testament and makes it all a matter of the heart. I wish he wouldn't do that. It'd be so much easier to be a person of God if I just got to not lie and not steal and not commit adultery and don't kill anybody. Piece of cake. But Jesus says, no, 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 let me amplify this for you. Let me amplify this for you. People say, people say, well, I don't like that Old Testament stuff. You know, it's, it's, I, I like Jesus full of love and grace. Well, Jesus makes Christian life a whole lot harder than the Old Testament does. Jesus makes a Christian life absolutely dependent on the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God. Because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, <laughs> Jesus says, you know, you know, it was said a long time ago, you know, This is in the Sermon on the Mount. It was said a long time ago, you've heard people say you should not murder. And if you murder people, you're going to have to be judged for that. Okay, that's what you've heard it said, right? Okay? But I tell you, (laughs) but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. I thought I just couldn't kill somebody. how much easier it would be to be in the Old Testament times. Mark, just don't take a club and knock somebody over the head with it. Don't take a spear and chuck it at somebody. But Jesus comes along out of the blue and interprets this, and it explodes with application. He says, if I'm angry with somebody, I've broken the sixth commandment. Because it's not a matter of externals anymore. Because we're in the new covenant. It's a matter of internals. Jesus? <laughs> we couldn't live the Christian life without Jesus because he came down on the cross. But he makes Christian life a lot harder. He really does. Because it's all about the heart. Because, because you cannot murder somebody and you can have, be, have a murderous heart and I not know about it. You could hide it from me. And you can look really good but you don't hide from God. He's after your murderous heart. That's what he says. I'm not making this up. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, that's an Aramaic word that basically means fool or idiot. It's a term of contempt. You idiot! So anybody that says, you fool, Jesus says you broke the sixth commandment. Because it's not a matter of externals anymore. It's a matter of what's in your heart. It's a matter of what's in your heart. Anyone who says raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, because Jesus says that, we now have this next verse. Therefore, okay, that means because this is true, therefore, this is true. That's what it means. Therefore, if you're in church today and you've got something against someone... Or someone's got something against you, Jesus says, leave. Leave. Go take care of the situation and then come back. Because we're accountable for the people that come in our lives, because they're precious, even sacred, a divine stamp of the image of God on them. Old Testament, grit your teeth, obey the law, you're cool. Just slay some lambs and goats once a year, no problem. New Testament, different ballgame, brother. I want your heart, Jesus says. I want your heart. Well, I I just don't want to kill anybody. No, I want your heart. Well, as, as Christians, the, the great majority of us are, are pro-life, and, and, you know, you can be pro-life, but you can have a murderous heart. Because Proverbs 18.21 says that, that, that in the power of the tongue, 18.21 of Proverbs, in the power of the tongue is life and death. So I, can, I cannot... I cannot chuck a spear at anybody i could not hit somebody over the club in old testament times i could never pull out a gun and shoot somebody i could never put a knife in somebody's heart but in this little three ounce concealed deadly weapon that i carry i can slice them up and that's why james says in in chapter three of james he says you know uh, he was t- he's talking all about the tongue in chapter 3 of James. And he gets to, he says, with a tongue, you can come in here and you can praise God. Wee, this feels good. Ooh, wee. You can do that. Oh, I feel real Christian. But if you leave here and you curse human beings, well, well, this don't mean anything. My dad used to say, you, 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 can hang through the, you can hang from the chandeliers if you want to as long as you walk straight on Monday morning. I don't care what you do on Sunday morning. Jump and roll on the floor and laugh or whatever you do as long as you walk straight on Sunday morning, on Monday morning. And that's what he says. You, you come in here and you, you praise the Lord and, and Father Jesus Christ, but you go out of there and you curse other human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Takes it back to Genesis 9. Who have been made in God's likeness. Why don't you treat why, why is it why is it wrong to curse somebody? Why is it wrong to, to treat somebody wrong? Because they've been made in God's likeness. Doesn't Jesus just bug you sometime when he just elevates this? It's this hard and impossible without the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God on your life to live the Christian life. Some of you are defeated in your Christian life. You know why? You're trying so daggone hard. And you're doing it in an Old Testament way. You're trying to grit your teeth and be the best Christian that you have to be. God wants you to kneel and surrender yourself to God's Holy Spirit and the grace of God and let your heart be changed from the inside out. So basically, Jesus came came along and said, "Hey, I got a new commandment. I'm I'm going to give you. Love one another. And if you love one another, ah, you take care of all the Old Testament prophets. Old Testament prophets is kind of biblical slang for. uh, Excuse me, Law and Prophets is kind of biblical slang for the Old Testament. So Jesus says, if you just love one another, you're you're just you're you're obeying the Old Testament. If you love one another, it's you you know you're not going to lie, you're not going to steal." You're not going to commit adultery. You're going to honor your father. Just love one another. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you love one another. And, and, and why is it that you love one another? Because we're accountable to the people that come into our lives. They're precious, even sacred. And God wants us to see them as He sees all of us and not be like me selfish with my time. So often, I, I, I give money left and right. You know what's hard for me to give my time you can, I, I, I i i slayed that dr- money dragon a long time ago you can have go I, I, I give it, you can have money but i can be selfish with my time first john chapter three this love one another thing gets expounded a little bit for this is a message you heard from the beginning we should love one another i don't know really if that means the beginning of jesus's ministry i'm not sure what it means probably so Or maybe it means the beginning of going all the way back to Genesis, because that's where they go next. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Uh Uh-oh, you're bringing in this murder thing and the love one another? And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. It was a heart issue, wasn't it? (laughs) It's a heart issue. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister. Now, what are you going to do with that? Week after week, I dig into God's word and it's an inexhaustible well. And look what comes up. If I hate my brother and sister, I'm disobeying the sixth commandment. Oh, I want to talk about capital punishment. Oh, I want to talk about abortion. Oh, I want to talk about euthanasia. I want to talk about just war theory. Oh, that's that's okay. But we got to get this, this first issue. How do you treat the people around you? It's so easy to talk about capital punishment. It's so easy to talk about abortion. It's so easy to talk about euthanasia. It's so easy to talk about is war right or not. That's easy because it doesn't have a whole lot to do with me. But you see, I've got to leave this meeting where I'm talking about all that stuff, and I've got to go out, and I've got to be nice to you, and you've got to be nice to me. Go back one slide, please. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and that you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him, forever equating murder with not treating your fellow man right. And then what's love? What's love? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our life down for all these sacred, precious, image-of-God people that come into our lives. No matter how poor they are, no matter how much they smell, no matter what lack of education they have, no matter how much smarter you are, no matter if they're drug addicts, no matter if they're alcoholics, they have the divine stamp of God on them. It's marred just like it's marred in me and marred in you. But you go find the poorest, smelliest, drug-infested person in this town and they're created in the image of God. And because of that, we start a Kenzie campus. Because for whatever reason, they don't come here. And it seems very much like Jesus to go to them. Old Testament, just don't, just don't murder anybody, okay? Just don't, don't throw a spear at them. Don't hit them over the head with a rock or this okay you're cool if that's what you don't do jesus comes along and messes everything up he spoils the party and says this is about your heart this is about what you think about this is about the murder in your heart and i don't know about you that convicts me to the core Because I got to put up with you, and you got to put up with me, and some of us aren't very easy to put up with. Not talking about me, of course. (laughs) This is this is the commandment. This is the second. This is the third time in 22 years of ministry I preached through the Ten Commandments. And this is the one that gets me every time. The amount of change God wants to bring in my life is immense. And it will not happen without the infilling of God's spirit and the grace of God totally saturating my life. I'll leave you with this thought. I'm sure I'm late. I'll leave you with this thought. I, I, would, I would think that we all would agree that Jesus, who, who was fully God and fully man, don't ask me to explain that, but he was fully God and fully man, I, we would all agree that he was more sacred when he walked on this earth than you and I were. He was more divine. He was more stamped in the image of God. I don't think any of us have a problem with agreeing to that. So I think we all could agree that the most holy person that ever has walked on the face of this earth was Jesus Christ. I think that's pretty much a no-brainer. How precious must you and me be if the most sacred person who ever walked the face of this earth died so I, so you can have a relationship with him? Now, that'll blow your mind. That'll blow your mind. How important to the Father must we be if he'll let the most sacred, most holy, most precious person who ever walked the face of this earth die and spill blood for me and for you? You think about that for a while. You didn't know all this is in the sixth commandment, did you? God's word is sharper than a two-edged sword. Our servers are coming to the table. Father. Father, where would we be without your grace? We certainly couldn't obey the New Testament. We certainly couldn't obey the New Testament without the power of your Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us. So Father, I ask, and just in the quietness of this moment, that for all of us that are just kind of didn't really understand the enormity of the Christian life or maybe the enormity of the Sixth Commandment, that we'll come to grips with that right now and realize it means far, far more than murdering someone. It means having a murderous heart. God, would you change my heart? Would you take out anything in it that is not of you? And I pray the same for everyone here that wants to be locked, stock, and barrel sold out to you.